I've often said on the show, and sometimes I'll say this to people just in conversation off air, that there are certain stories in the political world where it doesn't really make sense to cover them minute to minute. And sometimes it makes sense to zoom out a little and say, let's give it 24 hours and see where we are. Let's give it a few days and see where we are. And hilariously, the level of disarray in the Republican Party over the speakership since they kicked out their House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and have failed to select a new speaker. If you tune out for just a few hours, a front runner will rise like a phoenix over the horizon and just as quickly disappear. And you are none the wiser. And the latest person to whom this happened is Tom Emmer. If you looked at an article from yesterday morning, you learned about Tom Emmer facing a tough road to the speaker's gavel uh, on the floor, Republicans nominating him, although others immediately saying, I don't know that this guy actually has a path to victory. By yesterday afternoon, the headline on the Hill was Emmer bid collapses, <laughs> extending extraordinary Republican speaker losing streak, indicating that uh, it's the, the nomination survived four hours, the Republican conference selecting Tom Emmer. And then but within four hours, Emmer withdrew his name. Um, and it's just all looking completely and totally disastrous. Obviously, the failed former president, Donald Trump, doing everything he can to position himself uh, as someone who is strong and decisive and influential in this entire speaker debate. It's increasingly hard to believe that that's the case. And of course, his initial endorsement of Jim Jordan went down in flames just disastrously, actually losing support rather than coalescing it with each subsequent vote until eventually Jim Jordan was told by Republican colleagues. It's just not happening. You're not going to be the speaker. Here is Donald Trump. Uh, this was either before or right after court yesterday. By the way, we will talk about the court appearance yesterday where Michael Cohen testified against Trump sitting right in front of Trump. It's unbelievable, but we'll get to that. Donald Trump saying the following about Tom Emmer. Uh, Tom Emmer, it looks like he's finished. It looks like he's finished. He was not a supporter. He was a rhino. And it looks like he's finished, but we'll see. You never know. A soaking wet Donald Trump uh, relegating Tom Emmer to simply a rhino. Now, of course, you might recall that Donald Trump did previously praise Tom Emmer. Uh, he put out on Truth Social back in August of 2022, quote, Tom Emmer is an outstanding representative of the people of Minnesota in Congress. Tom is working hard to grow the economy, secure the border. By the way, there's capital letters all over this thing. I'm just not even going to make a big deal out of that. Secure the border, defend the Second Amendment and hold criminals accountable. He strongly advocates for our brave men and women in law enforcement. He supports our America first agenda. Tom is doing a great job as chairman of the NRCC, and he has my complete and total endorsement for reelection. Um, now he is merely a rhino, of course, because I guess he failed to win. So this is a Republican Party in complete and total disarray. I continue to believe that Democrats should not bail out Republicans. I know that there are people in my audience and other people on the left who are saying, you know, at this point, this is actually just damaging. It's damaging to the country. It's damaging people. Uh, we need to have Democrats help Republicans select a speaker. I understand the concern for the American people and how a House of Representatives that is shuttered is not a good thing 
overall for the country. But if Republicans don't get bailed out by Democrats, it could get to a point where you end up with Democrat Hakeem Jeffries as Speaker of the House, which is what would be best for the United States of America. It's not the most likely scenario, but it's not an impossibility. And so for now, I still see no reason what Republicans made this mess. It's their house to control. They have the majority. Why is it now the responsibility of Democrats to solve the problem? We, of course, care about what's best for the country. What's best for the country is not having any of these unqualified Republicans as Speaker of the House. So I am still by some margin on the side of Democrats should not bail out Republicans. Let's give it another week and see if my mind has changed. Let's talk about Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff for Donald Trump. He has now flipped on Donald Trump and has been granted immunity. This is absolutely stunning and a disastrous revelation for the failed former president. Why? For a while now, many of us and legal experts had been noticing why is Mark Meadows name missing from so many of these indictments? Meadows was right there. He knew what was going on. He was arguably involved by all reasonable assessments. He was involved. He was one of the closest people to Trump when all of these things were going on, documents and uh, attempts to overturn the election, the Georgia fiasco. Mark Meadows was there for all of it. He is very conspicuously missing from uh, some of these indictments. What is it that is going on? And he has now flipped. And this could not be worse news for Donald Trump. ABC News reports ex chief of staff Mark Meadows granted immunity. Tell special counsel he warned Trump about the 2020 claims. He has spoken to special counsel Jack Smith's team at least three times this year, including once before a federal grand jury, which came after Smith granted Meadows immunity to testify under oath, according to sources familiar with the matter. The sources say Meadows informed Smith's team that he repeatedly told Trump in the weeks after the 2020 election, the allegations of fraud were baseless, were baseless. That's a critical word. According to the sources, Meadows also told the federal investigators Trump was being, quote, dishonest with the public when he said he won the election just hours after polls closed, but before final results were in. A source quoted Meadows as saying, obviously, we didn't win. Obviously, we didn't win. This is potentially very bad, very, very bad for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is not taking this news well, taking to truth social Central. and posting, quote, I don't think Mark Meadows would lie about the rigged and Stalin 2020 presidential election merely for getting immunity against prosecution by deranged prosecutor Jack Smith. But when you really think about it, after being hounded like a dog for three years, told you'll be going to jail for the rest of your life, your money and your family will be forever gone. And we're not at all interested in exposing those that did the rigging. If you say bad things about that terrible monster, Donald J. Trump, we won't put you in prison. You can keep your family and your wealth and perhaps if you can make up some really horrible stuff, a out him, we may very well erect a statue of you in the middle of our decaying and now very violent capital, Washington, D.C. Some people would make that deal, but they are weaklings and cowards 
and so bad for the future of our failing nation. I don't think that Mark Meadows is one of them, but who really knows? Make America great again. This is Trump saying if Meadows does this, if Meadows flips, if Meadows informs with what Trump claims are lies, but I doubt would be lies after Mark Meadows has read the riot act and put under oath, doesn't seem to me he's just going to make stuff up. Then he would be one of those weaklings and cowards that Tr Donald Trump is referring to. Trump also posting to Troth Central, quote, Mark Meadows never told me that allegations of significant fraud about the rigged election were baseless. He certainly didn't say that in his book. So a couple of different things here. This is genuinely bad news for Donald Trump. Mark Meadows is a name that for a while now has been discussed as if anyone has the goods, it would be Mark Meadows. And his name being conspicuously missing from some of the indictments raises questions as to whether he has been granted immunity and has flipped or is negotiating that possibility. We now know that at least with regard to one case, that is indeed what is going on. This also brings us to the potential circus fiasco that will be Trump's criminal trials. I believe the first one starts March 3rd or March 4th, something along those lines with the possibility that some of Trump's closest associates and former aides and even what Trump considers friends, although, you know, we still aren't really sure if Trump has friends. Uh, these trials have the potential to be absolutely explosive, historic, truly historic events, which I plan to cover to the extent that they are televised and we will see which of them are televised. So Mark Meadows flipping on Trump, granted immunity, very bad news for Trump, potentially good news for Mark Meadows if his goal is, of course, to stay out of prison. We will talk more about it. We're going to take a quick break. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube after the break. Yes. Michael Cohen testifying, and it is wild, wild stuff. Many people know how hard it is to break bad habits, and sometimes you have to replace a bad habit with a better habit. And that is exactly what our sponsor Fume helps you do. Fume is not a vape. I don't advertise vape stuff. There's no nicotine. There's no electronics. Fume is a small cylindrical wooden device that just delivers plant flavored air. It comes in a variety of flavors that people love. Crisp mint, maple pepper, white cranberry. They've got new flavors, sparkling grapefruit, orange, vanilla. Importantly, it just gives your hand something to do. It's a device that feels good in your hand or in your pocket. You can take it anywhere and it satiates that hand to mouth fixation that if you're trying to break a bad habit can be very useful. It's also fun to fidget with, which is important too. it has an adjustable airflow dial, a magnetic end cap. It gives your fingers something to do, even if it's in your pocket. Check out the reviews online. You'll see so many people have been skeptical at first about fume. They try it and they are very pleasantly surprised. Go to tryfume.com and use the code Pacman to save 10% when you get the journey pack, which comes with the device and several flavors to try. That's tryfum.com. Then use code Pacman for 10% off the journey pack. The info is in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact based reporting for some much needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. 
The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement, all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you nerd wallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to nerd Wallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. If you're like me, and I know so many of you are just like me, you hate the sticking and the rubbing that comes with traditional underwear. I'm sure most gentlemen in my audience know what I'm talking about. Our sponsor, Sheath Underwear, solves the problem. They have a patented ergonomic underwear design, separate compartments in the front. Everything stays dry, cool, and comfortable. With Sheath, you do away with the chafing and the sweating. Everything can air out and breathe and be fresh. Large variety of designs, something for everyone. The air circulation in sheath underwear allows for a huge difference. And you've got to try it yourself to understand. I can tell you firsthand next level comfort down there. Sheath also now is offering super comfortable women's underwear as well as silky smooth base layer undershirts and bottoms for men. Sheath has world class customer service, super fast shipping, over 20,000 five star reviews. Sheath is the perfect gift for the men and the women on your shopping list. Check it out at sheathunderwear.com slash Pacman and you'll get 20% off with the code Pacman. That's S H E A T H underwear.com slash Pacman. Use the code Pacman for 20% off. The info is in the podcast notes. I'll quickly remind everybody that the David Pacman show is an audience supported program. Our primary funding source is not some vague, ambiguous or unknown rich person or whatever it is that the right wingers allege. It's just people who like the show and go to joinpacman.com and support what we do. We provide some great perks to our members, including an extra daily show called The Bonus Show, commercial free audio and video streams of the show, and uh, a sort of version of my soundboard that I have here. And we will ban men. Right. We have a version of that soundboard available uh, on the member section of the website and so many other great things. I invite you to sign up at joinpacman.com. An explosive confrontation took place yesterday in Donald Trump's New York civil trial. Uh, Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former lawyer, friend of the show, and a guy who, quite frankly, just doesn't seem to be concerned anymore, if he ever was, with saying things to stay in people's good graces. Michael Cohen making it clear he's going to show up to this civil trial and he's going to testify and he's going to tell the truth as he sees it and as he knows it. And if anybody knows where the proverbial bodies are buried, and I hope it's only proverbial, I'm not saying Trump killed anybody. I'm just saying as far as I know, they are only proverbial bodies. If anybody else has other information, you let me know. It would be Michael Cohen who knows where those proverbial bodies are buried. And when it comes to the playing fast and loose with the value of Trump's properties, if it's advantageous for them to be higher for the purposes of collateral, if it's advantageous for the values of properties to be lower for the purposes of avoiding taxation, it would be Michael Cohen who knows about that. An incredible uh, series of reports. Here is one from Jose Paglieri, who was in the courtroom and says, as Cohen reminisces about the Trump org culture of deceit, Trump is fussing at the defense table. 
His attorneys keep patting him on the arm to calm down his muted outbursts. He's not loud, just annoyed. Trump behaving like a kid at the defense table. And it is really an extraordinarily damning testimony against Donald Trump. Key takeaways as summarized by CNN. And then we'll get to some video with Trump sitting feet away. Cohen described how he manipulated Trump's financial statements, re reverse engineering them to hit an arbitrary net worth. Things quickly got heated when cross examination began as Cohen sneered at the questions and loudly objected to one line of questioning. I absolutely love it. Um, let's take a look at some of the video from this event. Here is Michael Cohen entering the courtroom where he will testify. Uh, a tense atmosphere. Clearly, we knew this that that this would trigger Trump wildly, and it did. All right. So there is Michael Cohen passing a gaggle of photographers and then entering the courtroom. We also heard from Donald Trump heading into court where he faced his former lawyer saying Cohen is simply a liar. And I apologize for the sort of shaky audio on this stuff. It's just what we're dealing with. So he's a liar trying to get a better deal for himself, but uh, it's not going to work. This case, by any other judge, this case would have been over a long time ago. We did nothing wrong and that's been proven. Thank you. We'll be out there. All right. So Trump saying he'll be back and saying, even before Michael Cohen gave testimony that Cohen is simply a liar trying to get a better deal for himself. Donald Trump was asked, by the way, are you concerned about Jenna Ellis's plea deal? Remember that yet another. You've got Sidney Powell, you've got Kenneth Cheesebro, and then you now have Jenna Ellis taking a plea deal, sobbing in court with tears in her eyes, as these people like to say. Trump says, I don't know a thing about what Jenna Ellis is up to. Are you concerned about Jenna Ellis' video? No, I don't know anything about it. She'll know anything. We're totally innocent. I'm not thinking that's political persecution. There you go. So a glistening wet Trump says he doesn't know a damn thing about Jenna Ellis's plea deal. Here is Trump after the court appearance asked, what was it like to see Michael Cohen again? And Trump said, um, you know, just negative things about Michael Cohen. How do you feel about Jenna Ellis taking a plea deal? We'll see how it ends up. So Trump saying that, of course, Cohen has a terrible record. I don't even know what that means. I mean, the 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 black stains, uh, the, the 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 black stains on Michael Cohen's record are all things done at the direction of Donald Trump and to serve Trump's interests. So to the extent that the, that Cohen's record is bad, it's really an indictment of Trump. And I have no reason to think Cohen's been anything but honest since uh, this all started. We then also uh, heard Michael Cohen asked how he felt about seeing Donald Trump again. Heck of a reunion. 
heck of a reunion is the answer there from Michael Cohen. And then also hearing from Michael Cohen outside the courthouse where he made a, just a very short statement. Let me just turn around and say that this is not about Donald Trump versus Michael Cohen or Michael Cohen versus Donald Trump. This is about accountability, plain and simple, and we leave it up to Judge Angoron in order to make all the determinations on that. So I thank you all for coming. So listen, for all of the criticisms of Michael Cohen and, and the fact that he did do Trump's bidding for a very long time, it's very hard for me to find areas in which Michael Cohen has been dishonest or anything but genuine since this entire legal fiasco started. And the critical point that we are going to talk more about today is that Donald Trump immediately attacked Michael Cohen after the testimony, which to me is a very clear violation of the gag order that has been put in place. And we're going to delve into this more deeply. But Trump flipping out on Truth Social Truth and saying about Michael Cohen, quote, Michael Cohen was a complete and total disaster in the Biden inspired trial today. Lie after lie and getting caught each time. My great assets are worth more than is on my financial statements, and it's not even close. The rigged trial doesn't even give me the right to a jury, but the people are watching and they are seeing what is going on here. A miscarriage of justice. The statute being used for this case gives me no rights and has never been used for this before. But the facts are all on my side. Witch hunt. I believe this is a violation of the gag order that Trump already violated once. Let's talk about that next. We are getting to a point where it is becoming more and more difficult to understand why has Trump's bond not been revoked and why is Trump not sitting in jail in pretrial detention. And the latest episode in this, of course, is Donald Trump attacking Michael Cohen yet again, a witness providing testimony in one of the trials that Trump is involved in. This one is a civil defendant. Others are as a criminal defendant. This is not deny people due process and lock them up sort of stuff. This is extremely specific. Donald Trump has had a number of gag orders placed upon him by judges because he attacks court personnel and he attacks witnesses and he attacks prosecutors and he attacks judges. And you're not allowed to do that. As we've talked about before, gag orders that are limited in scope. He can still lie and say he won the election and all of that stuff. These limited gag orders are not violations of the First Amendment. It is widely established by legal precedent. Donald Trump, after being placed under gag order, continues to attack witnesses and all sorts of people. Any other person not in a position of power the way Trump is would have been jailed for violation of bond at this point in time. And it seems that the appropriate action would be for the same thing to happen to Donald Trump. He still gets due process. He gets to go to trial whenever the trial is. He can assert his innocence and he is entitled to being judged and sentenced only in accordance to to what the law indicates. This is the same due process anybody gets when they are detained pretrial. Again, Donald Trump yesterday, after testimony from witness Michael Cohen under oath on Truth Social, attacking him, saying, quote, Michael Cohen was a complete and total disaster in the Biden inspired trial today, lie after lie and getting caught each time. And he went on from there. 
This is yet another attack on witnesses, which Trump has been told you're not allowed to do or we're going to 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 jail you and detain you. Think back to all of the examples and understand that a normal defendant, not a privileged elite like Donald Trump, but a normal defendant, if they did a fraction of this, would have bond revoked. Trump calling people involved in prosecuting him racist. He often focuses on this. Alvin Bragg, the racist Manhattan district attorney, Trump said on Truth Social. Uh, Letitia James, another witch hunt by a racist attorney general. Fonnie Willis, a local racist Democrat district attorney. Uh, and many other examples. Trump goes after people involved in the prosecutions based on their romances. Trump has cited many times without evidence that people involved in his cases are romantically connected to nefarious figures. He said about an aide to Judge Ngoron, Senator Chuck Schumer's girlfriend is running the case against me. He was admonished for that. He said about Fonnie Willis, she had an affair with the head of a gang or a gang member. I wasn't able to find any evidence that that's the truth. He also goes after the family members of people that are involved in these cases, saying about Alvin Bragg, he has a Trump hating wife and Trump hating friends saying about Judge Tanya Chutkin. Oh, I'm sure she'll be very fair. And then cites an article that says Chutkin's grandfather was a Marxist about remember uh, uh, Juan Merchan who was presiding over the hush money case, quote, I have a Trump hating judge with a Trump hating wife and the daughter who worked for Kamala Harris about special counsel Jack Smith, a Trump hater, as well as his friends and family. He sometimes has likened people involved in these cases. Uh, to, he's likened them to being subhuman, essentially referring to Alvin Bragg as a Soros backed uh, animal referring to Fonnie Willis as a rabid partisan, referring to Letitia James as a monster. And he has also said that they are crazy people, referring to Alvin Bragg as a degenerate psychopath, referring to Letitia James as a crazy radical leftist nut job, referring to her also as a Trump <laughs> deranged lunatic and about special prosecutor Jack Smith. Trump has said he is deranged, a radical lunatic and a psycho. Anybody else would have had bond revoked and would be sitting in jail awaiting trial, but not Trump. It is arguably time to put him in jail. Will it happen? Almost certainly not. I want to mention just one other thing related to the Trump trials. The latest move from Trump's lawyers is to try to stop his civil fraud trial over covid. And this is just so damn funny because Trump's never been concerned about covid and also his lawyers, while arguing in court, were all super concerned about covid in the court. None of them are wearing masks, which if they were actually concerned, they might be doing. Here's an article from Business Insider, which says Trump's fraud trial began week four on Tuesday after skipping Monday due to a covid outbreak An unmasked Trump watched as his unmasked lawyers asked that the trial be halted due to risk of infection. The judge declined, saying, hey, N95 masks were available in the courtroom to anybody who wanted one, suggesting clearly you're not that concerned about covid because you're all here 
and none of you are wearing masks. Now, honestly, this is just absurd on its face. It's completely absurd on its face. It is truly a last ditch effort and it didn't work. And this is not going well for Donald Trump. Trump actually coming out of the courtroom or maybe coming into the courtroom, who knows at this point, and saying what they did about COVID is terrible. And then he just goes on to attack the judge. And now he goes into some of his other greatest hits about why it's all so unfair. Consider that Trump couldn't even be bothered to stop campaigning when COVID was at his highest point, holding mass rallies and the entire thing. And now a trial has to stop because someone in the court has COVID. Uh, I do think that these are the kinds of people who will try anything they can think of to delay the trials, because if it works, then that's great. They're successful. If it works and then Trump ends up becoming president, Trump will try to use being president as a reason why the trials can't continue now. And so they're out of ideas. They're willing to try anything anybody thinks of. And this is the latest thing. COVID. We have to stop the trial. Good for Judge Ngoron, who I guess I've, I've been pronouncing his last name and Goron incorrectly. I, apparently it's in Goron. Good for Judge Ngoron for not going for this. I'm sure they'll come up with something else. We'll find out what it is, I'm sure, later today. As many of you know, I spend a lot of time working on the show, doing research, preparing for interviews, filming the show. And when I need just a quick and easy snack during a break, I love whipping up instant ramen noodles, low maintenance. But ramen noodles have never been known to be the healthiest thing in the kitchen. Our sponsor, Immy, has changed that. Every pack of Immy ramen noodles has only six grams of net carbs, up to 21 grams of protein. That's three times more than traditional brands, helps you feel fuller longer and 18 grams of fiber, which is great for gut health and digestion. The best part is it tastes better than any other instant ramen you've ever had. Six delicious flavors. These are all vegan black garlic chicken. It's vegan. Spicy red miso, spicy beef, vegan pork tonkatsu, vegan. Immy is a fun and tasty instant ramen experience like you're used to with more to offer nutritionally and without all the carbs. Having Immy around will keep you from going for the junk food. Go to immyeats.com slash Pacman five. Use the code Pacman five for five dollars off. That's I M M I eats dot com slash Pacman five. Use code Pacman five for five dollars off. The info is in the podcast notes. People in my audience who sometimes struggle with sleep, you know, you've got those habit forming prescription medications, which sometimes have side effects. You've got your herbal remedies that often do nothing. That's why the go to can be melatonin, which is clinically proven to work and without the side effects and the grogginess. Our sponsor Beam makes delicious nighttime hot cocoa drinks called Dream with melatonin to help you get to sleep. Melatonin can also help correct circadian rhythm disturbances to get your schedule back on track. Like, for example, if you have jet lag, 
Beam's Dream Hot Cocoa with melatonin comes in great tasting flavors like mint chocolate chip, chocolate peanut butter, sea salt caramel or caramel. Come on. No sugar added, sweetened with monk fruit, only 15 calories per serving. My favorite is cinnamon cocoa. I'll just be up front. It's great to have before bed sometimes. It's hot, very flavorful, but not overly sweet. It's just a soothing way to wind down like an hour before going to bed. For a limited time, you'll get up to 40% off when you go to shopbeam.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash Pacman. Using code Pacman saves you up to 40%. The info is in the podcast notes. Today, we're going to be speaking with Greg Lukianoff, who's a First Amendment attorney, president and CEO of the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, and also co-author, along with Ricky Schlott, of The Canceling of the American Mind. Cancel culture undermines trust and threatens us all. But there is a solution. Greg, really great having you on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, you know, to start with, I have to say I I'm really interested in this topic of cancel culture to the extent that I uh, believe it exists and speech and the issues I've seen you talk about on other shows that I reviewed kind of to prepare for our conversation. I'm really interested in this as someone who is very much on the left. Mm -hmm. I find that there are people on the left concerned about this and people on the right concerned about this. Their concern is often different. It's motivated by different things. Yeah. And and I find myself disagreeing sometimes with the nature of the concern. So can you lay this out as you see it in terms of feel free to tell us a little bit about your political background if you sure. want, if you think it's relevant and what's your perspective and how you have become concerned about this issue? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm a, a, a I'm liberal myself and I'm definitely left of center. You know, I definitely feel like the political spectrum has moved a little bit. And yes. uh, but still, you know, I, as someone who knows my social science, I know that my political views very much still fit left of center. Um, but I've been working on campus for 22 years now, and I worked at the ACLU of Northern California. I, I, I uh, did refugee law before that, I, and I um, and I specialized in First Amendment law. And so I was invited to be the first legal director of FIRE. And already by 2001, it was a lot easier to get in trouble for what you said on a college campus um, than I expected. And even though, and by the way, Stanford was. Uh, sometimes could be a difficult place to have a serious argument. Um, and um, uh, so I've been doing this for 22 years and things started getting a lot worse around 2014. Um, and what the big shift was that students who had always been the best constituency for freedom of speech, at least during my entire career, right. started being the ones, you know, signing petitions to get professors fired for what they said, you know, asking for new speech codes, all, all of this kind of stuff. Now, sometimes there's a little bit of like rhetorical jujitsu that happens on social media where people are like, oh, you're just blaming students. And it's like, well, if they're demanding professors get fired, then sure. But it's important to keep in mind that a lot of cases, the people who are actually leading the charge are, are administrators, but they're working with students. And whereas they couldn't find sympathetic students 10 years ago or 15 years ago, they can now find them. And when I try to convince skeptics of the of this problem, you know, I point out that of the you know 1,000 attempts to get professors 
uh, punished, you know, that we've seen since 2014, which, by the way, is a very large number. If, mm-hmm. if, you, if you know your academic freedom history, you, you know, you're usually talking about major incidents involving a handful of firings. And we're talking right. about, you know, o- o- almost 200. I point out that one third of the punishments, you know, come from the right. They, they, they come from Turning Point USA. They come from Fox News. And but my, my joke, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old I'm an old First Amendment guy. I'm like an old liberal in the sense that I'm unapologetic about my my free speech stance. And it's funny because like when suddenly people start caring about the issue because they realize that a lot of liberals get in trouble. And actually, by the way, liberals get in trouble all the time, both from the left and from the right Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, at at this point. But if that suddenly makes them care about it, I'm kind of like, I really wish you'd also care when people you hate get in trouble, too. So let's talk a little bit about I mean, let me just lay out my perspective on this sure. and maybe that we could do this a bunch of different ways, but I'll lay out my perspective and you can tell me, you know, agree, disagree. What am I missing? Yeah. I am concerned with so-called even if cancel culture is not the term everybody likes, I think we all kind of know what we are alluding yeah. to when we say it. So I'll use the term cancel culture. I am concerned when cancel culture and limitations on speech uh, take place on the left. I don't like when the left uses identity politics to silence people. I was very outspoken about the absurdity of Jewish women being told by the Women's March that they aren't oppressed or intersectional enough to be uh, you know, on the board. And I I think these things are absolutely disastrous. When I see it, I call it out. When I see um, people's membership or lack thereof in a group used to say we don't need to pay attention to that, for example, if right now I'm getting David, because you're Jewish, you are inherently biased on what's happening in the Israeli Palestinian conflict. So your views and the views of Jews need to be dismissed. Well, by definition, everybody then brings some bias. Right. So I think that that's a problem. If I really am honest, I see the vast majority of this problem on the American political right. And I'll give you the areas where I see it. Yeah. Um, the calls for media boycotts of shows of movies, et cetera, on the basis that they are uh, so-called promoting progressivism or they even go further than that calls for academic censorship from the right against professors who are teaching allegedly left wing stuff that they don't like attacks on corporations, boycotts on corporations because corporations take stances on issues like gun control, climate change, et cetera social media censorship and arguing that certain views. We saw this around covid. We saw this in so many different either social media outlets should be forced to put certain views out there, even though at the end of the day, they're private corporations with terms of service. I see the majority of this on the political right. Am I missing something? Yes. The doesn't support that at all. Um, And and this is something that is um, frustrating for me, because like since there are threats from the right, it's very quick for people, you know, particularly on my side of the fence, to, to point to the threats that are real on the right, and many of which my organization, FIRE, has taken to court, okay. uh, and, and won, by the way, um, that uh, that allows us to kind of like focus on on that problem and not look at the problem on our own side. But I, I will say without equivocation, the problem is worse on the left. Okay. Um, Give me the data. So the, so the data... Um, now, if you want, like, if people are looking for reasons to 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 be concerned about a liberalism on the right, mm-hmm. those professor numbers are the ones they should be looking at, okay. um, because th- those are coming from, like I said, Turning Point USA, Fox News, etc., and that and one third of professors. That's a, that's a lot of the punishments going on um, on campus. That, that that's hundreds of professors. 
uh, being being punished. And that's something that we could really use more help on. I would also like to convince your your, your listeners to help the people who are neither right or left, because there's about eight eight or nine percent of those, you know, are neither right or left, and then sixty mm-hmm. percent are actually, you know, from the left. So certainly, the problem on campus is is much more on the left uh, than the right. When it comes to legislatures. The the one law that has been passed that was a threat to curriculum um, in higher ed, one that was clearly unconstitutional, was the Stop Woke Act. And the Stop Woke Act is something we went right into court um, as soon as we could find a plaintiff challenge and won, by the way. So right mm-hmm. now it's actually been de- uh, defeated. They're trying a Stop Woke 2, which we'll also try again. You know, And I think it's going to be laughed out of court just like the last one. But there, there has been one and it's been defeated. So I, I think that there's too many convenient ways for to, to, to keep the left from doing some really valuable self-reflection on some of this stuff. And I think we're so calcified in our current culture war. And, when, and the funny thing is when you were talking about boycotts and you were talking about all, all the corporate stuff, I felt like I, I was like, I thought I was listening to one of the one of my Fox News interviewers because mm. it was like they always talk about the left always doing this, you know. And so so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, there are very real threats from the right and we fight them. But uh, but at the same time, I, I don't want people to use that as a way of saying, like, there's not an, a serious a liberals problem on the left. And, and honestly, like I said, it's worse um, by all the data that we're, that we're able to see when it comes to attitudes about freedom of speech, the polling, um, the, the, the uh, right now, particularly among millennials, uh, left-leaning millennials, the, the numbers are bad. Um, and that generally people on the right have become more pro-free speech. Of course, to be clear, that's always sort of like a matter of political convenience for a lot of people, unfortunately. If they think they're the ones who are more likely to get censored, they tend to be more uh, pro-free speech. And if you think you're more likely to be the the people making those calls, you tend to be more pro-censorship. So I think there's a bunch of stuff there where the devil really is in the details. I mean, first of all, it sounds like what you're saying is the case that this is and we don't ne- just have to talk about where it's worse. It'd be we'll get to solutions in a moment, but sure, at sure. least to keep framing this, it sounds like you're saying the data that proves this is more of a problem on the left than the right is that when we look at attempted firings of professors, a third of them are from the right, 10 percent of them are from the middle and the other 57 percent, the other 50 depending on the year you said eight or nine. Yeah. And so basically and then 57 to 60 percent is from the left. So from all the categories I mentioned, you're looking just at the academic thing and saying by a 60 40 margin, it's more a problem on the left. That's not the strongest case. Oh, oh, but David, it's worse than that. Okay, people actually doing the firing in those third of cases are almost always themselves left leading. Um, the the pressure comes from outside and because yeah. universities have become so cowardly and bad on freedom of speech. Okay. And since it's super majority of administrators are actually in charge. So th- th- this does not com- even those cases do not completely um, ab- absolve the left. Um, and when it comes to professors, one of the reasons why we have this data is because um, it's what's knowable currently. Like we're actually looking into um, the, the different attacks on students when we started look initially looking um, into students when it was a question of viewpoint. Yeah, you were a ton more more likely to get in trouble uh, for something uh, if you angered the left than if you angered the right, which is not surprising given the people who actually enforce the rules at universities are, and this is uncontroversial research at this point, um, are super majority left and same thing, same thing with professors. So if there's a free speech problem on college campuses, it is a left problem. Okay. Um- so from the data you gave me, it is somewhat more of a left problem than a right problem. I concede the audience can they've heard your side of it. They can look it up. Let, let's sure. put the campus piece aside for a second. Yeah. 
there are entire movements that are forms of cancel culture or speech suppression that are almost exclusively coming from the right. The mm -hmm. entire social media company, covid vaccine, that entire thing was led almost exclusively by the right saying it is wrong for YouTube to enforce terms of service and remove anti-vax content, even though it is YouTube's right as a corporation to say we have terms of service as long as we're not saying, hey, black people aren't allowed to post or whatever. What YouTube was doing was just enforcing terms of service. You had right wingers saying Twitter should not be allowed to remove our anti-vax information. To me, these are all forms of attempting to limit the speech of these private platforms to say, hey, we have terms of service and we're not doing anything illegal. We can decide what's allowed on our platform. Yeah, uh, this is very interesting. I've watched this actually happen on the left. The um, the, the increasing sort of favoritism for powerful corporations to make these decisions themselves. Is something that's too is, easy a way to write it off, though. I don't well, I don't think that that's what it is. I think it's simply saying Republicans aren't holding themselves to their own standards with this stuff. And neither neither are Democrats that like in, in California, like uh, X lost it, uh, um, launched a, a lawsuit uh, um, with, due to social media regulations they have in California that are yeah. that are incredibly onerous and actually pressure them to, you know, uh, clamp down on hate speech. So so I, I kind of want to introduce Florida, Texas to California uh, mm. to, to actually point out that both sides are actually trying to make social media do their bidding. They just have different ideas of what their bidding is. And okay. one thing I really want to caution you on yeah. is that misinformation, disinformation is a uh, exception to freedom of speech so wide it, it, give, it, it, it puts in the hands of power, limitless power to, to censor people that they, they dislike. And I think that the uh, I think that a lot of what actually and we talk about, you know, some of the um, some of the cancel culture cases that came out of COVID, for example. Sure. And a lot of those cases are people who weren't, by the way, on the right, uh, but who ended up being right about things like school closures, like losing their careers because they were like, you know, like Jennifer Say at, at, at Levi's Jeans. Her original point, you know, was that this is going to hurt disadvantaged kids the most closing the schools um, and it's going to hurt students for, for years to come. And she was forced out of Levi's and. She was right. Um, and basically, like there, there's there's large agreement that essentially the lockdowns were harmful to kids. Last thing from the categories you mentioned was on attitudes towards yeah. speech. It is true that when you look at Pew, Cato, Gallup and a couple of others I looked at by depends which poll between an eight and 20 point margin, those who identify as being on the right are more likely to be supportive of free speech in more cases than those on the left. Do we agree on the numbers depending on the poll? Eight to 20 percentage points. Is that fair? Uh, depending on the poll, depending uh, on the yeah. poll, just so we're yeah. kind of in agreement is the degree to which this is the case. Yeah, well, not, I'm not claiming it's a massive gap. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. There's a gap. There's a gap. Yeah, sure. there's a gap. I think my concern is that very often and Scott Galloway actually recently had a really good commentary on this. Very often, some of the people who are pushing free speech for free speech's sake are just wanting to be able to say racist and xenophobic things with no consequences, and they're entitled <laughs> to do it. Listen, I, I respect that they're completely yeah. entitled to do it. I am not hugely uh, I don't find it the most admirable cause 
to be focused on free speech for free speech's sake when what you really want to do is say horrible things with no consequences, David, even if it's David, the right I'm, to do I'm, it. I'm, I'm laughing right now because Please. I, and I respect you to be clear, okay. but but I hear these arguments so often it's it's, it's hard for me to take them all that seriously because right, well, right it, now okay. right now what's happening with regards to pro-Palestinian speech and pro uh, on, on campus is people are saying well this is consequence culture guys these the, the students that we're going after the 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 um uh, the blacklist that we're creating of pro Hamas pro-Palestinian pro speech, that's just consequence culture. And meanwhile, what's actually happened, because it, it's so difficult, it, like basically like my side cannot admit that it's wrong on anything it feels like. And and, and it drives me literally nuts sometimes. I, I admit it all the time, you know, I mean. Yeah. Oh, but, but 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 let's say, so, so for example, kind of like the blacklists, you know, yeah. um, against people who said pro-Hamas speech yep. for, for various jobs. Um, they, uh, the, 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 the the first thing that people do on Twitter and on social media is like, well, the free speech advocates, the cancel culture people are silent on this. And meanwhile, I'd already talked about it a million times. Like I've been mm. on national TV talking about, I don't like blacklists. This is um, that we should that we should not doing this. Is this is cancel culture? But not actually saying maybe actually the sort of um, like quick dismissal of of cancel culture as being consequence culture wasn't that great of an idea because to me, all saying that something is consequence culture is is usually that they haven't looked into the particular cases in many cases, because you can't really look at the cases that we have in the book and say, these are all justified. Um, and that, that, that essentially it's just, it's a pat way of trying not to engage as much. That's why I don't like, I, I feel like the, it, it, it basically, it literally begs the question and like in the, in the sense that in the actual original sense of that term, it assumes yes. the premise to be true. I guess I'm just not really sure or when it comes to what I'm pointing out, which is just on a completely factual basis, the gap in terms of support for free speech between left and right is relatively modest at you as you admit. And there is a contingent of the right that when asked the question, do you support free speech? They don't want consequences socially nor from an employment standpoint of saying horrible things about either racial minorities or sexual orientation minorities or whatever. And I don't find I'm talking only about that contingent. I'm with yeah. you on 90 percent of this. That contingent, I don't find a particularly a particularly admirable reason to say I'm for free speech. It's not super interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think that's that's too easy of an out, because like when, okay. when, when, you, when you look at the cases that we talk about, in the book, you know, a lot of cases, these are things where you have a hard time even figuring out how someone was offended by it in the first place. OK, I don't deny that. I, I, th yeah. That's fine. And, and as far as those those examples go, I think they should be looked at. Let's talk a little bit about solutions. Sure. What sorts of solutions are the types of things that you believe would be most effective? I think we have a. I think we have an opportunity to figure out cheaper, more rigorous ways to do a lot of education. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that right now, I think the extent to which, um, and we focus a lot about this in the final couple chapters about how much, um, and I really want to appeal to you know, make sure that the people on the left get this message. Yep. That um, uh, that the there's a book by Evan Mandry called Poison Ivy that I think everyone should read, and it talks about how much elite colleges 
uh, in particular, recreate class privilege. That essentially, like the for every you know one you know a, a kid who grew up working class like me who goes to Stanford, you know, thousand rich kids you know uh, get to stay in the upper classes. And I think that there uh, that I think there's sometimes a reflexive defense of higher education without actually thinking about how we could do something that would be more equitable, that would be mm. less expensive, that would be something that you could actually do without going into debt. Um, and we're trusting in these mega corporations. Um, far, far more than we should. So I think that some of the some of the different ways, you know, um, I think even uh, what, uh, what's his name, Sal Khan, you know, uh, from Khan Academy is even yeah. working on on a way to, you know, show that you're an autodidact, you know, uh, 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 in um, and get you know a, uh, get a degree that way. So I think that actually we need it's a time where we need a lot of experimentation for cheaper, better solutions. So is that now that's that's interesting when it comes specifically to the issue of education. But what mm -hmm. about, what about more broadly to the cultural attitudes, to the ways in which a lot of these instances of speech being adjudicated in different ways? What are is there a framework to solve the problem as you've identified not, it? Not, not, not a single one, which is one yeah. of the reason why I don't love the subtitle, because it makes it sounds like I think there's a solution. I, right. I think that there are many things we could be doing to make it better. But the most fundamental one, honestly, is a little bit of the a little bit of the just just the idea that everyone's entitled to their opinion, even if you think it's repugnant, um, would be something that I, I wish we had that as a societal cliche that we took seriously still, because it doesn't feel like we're doing that way. And and we do call that out, by the way, on the right and the left, basically being kind of like, well, if that's your opinion, then I'm better off not knowing it. It's like, honestly, if that's someone's opinion, you're, it's even if it's horrifying, it, it's usually better to know it than not. Yeah, I mean, my approach with the platforming of disgusting people over the last however many years on the show has been, I want to know what their opinion is, and then I want to evaluate whether it's getting enough attention to be worthy of refuting it versus ignoring it. And it's just yeah. a choice that we can make as individuals. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's entirely fair. Like, like the, the you know, the, the, the way I talk about it, the, my, my overall theory on freedom of speech is something I call the pure informational theory of free speech. And as I always say, it's like, listen, um, and it's one of the reasons why I caution people against going too hard on misinformation, disinformation. Mm -hmm. uh, lizard people who live under the Denver airport do not control the world. But if your uncle, girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, thinks they do, that is incredibly valuable information. And if a large part of society thinks they right. do, you better be able to study it. And, and I'm here, I'm thinking a part of, of things like QAnon, obviously not true, um, but worth knowing how many people believe this stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. The book is the canceling of the American mind. Cancel culture undermines trust and threatens us all. But there is a solution, even though it's not a solution, as Greg, <laughs> as Greg pointed out, it's, it's many. It's a, it's a bunch. We've been speaking with Greg Lukianoff, First Amendment attorney and co-author of the book. Really appreciate your time and insights today. Thank you, David. That was fun. If you're familiar with me and my show, you know that I don't promote crazy supplements, drinkable silver, wacky stuff that right wing shows do. I don't offer miracle cures or anything like that. I promote products that are backed by science and that make sense at the end of the day. That's what our sponsor AG one is. It's really simple. Instead of taking dozens of different vitamins, potentially spending hundreds of dollars on them. What I do is before my morning cappuccino, I have a scoop of AG one in water. Simple. I get the entire day's worth of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics. It's in a form that you can absorb and utilize. It tastes good. You can put it in a drink. You can put it in a shake whatever works for you. 
unlike routines that involve all sorts of pills and gummies and the inconvenience and the difficulty of maintaining it, AG1 is just foundational nutrition made easy and affordable. I've even gotten some friends and family hooked on AG1 because it's just simple. It's simple and more cost effective. Go to drinkag1.com slash Pacman. You'll get five free travel packs of AG1 and a year's supply of vitamin D for free. That's drink. A is in Adam. G is in green. The number one dot com slash Pacman to get five free travel packs of AG1 and a free year supply of vitamin D. The link is in the podcast notes. Well, the impeachment of Joe Biden seems to be failing completely, going absolutely nowhere, as we talked about yesterday. But the new one is that some Republicans are now itching to impeach Pete Buttigieg, the secretary of transportation. This doesn't really make any sense. And yet and yet here is Republican Congressman Mike Collins on Fox Business saying we may now need to look at impeaching Pete Buttigieg. Why? As if they need a reason. Apparently, the reasons are uh, identity politics and wokeism. These are the reasons why now an impeachment of Pete Buttigieg is on the table. It makes no sense. But let's take a look at what Mike Collins said. Where you have a president that actually put someone in place of the Department of Transportation who was instilled there on identity politics. OK, so what you have to really understand what they're saying. Mike Collins is saying. And Stuart Varney is agreeing that the reason Pete Buttigieg is secretary of transportation is because he's gay. That's what they mean by identity politics. Pete Buttigieg is a white guy, so that that wouldn't be it. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is male, so it wouldn't be, oh, we're selecting women for the sake of selecting women. What Mike Collins is saying is that Pete Buttigieg is secretary of transportation because he's gay. And as a result, maybe he should be impeached Not due to the fact that he actually knew what the job entailed and, and how to do the job. So so is, it, know, if, is if, impeachment if, on the table, Congressman? Well, if he doesn't resign, everything's on the table <laughs> because you can tell after two and a half years of, of, of a culture of wokeism in this department, you see the results of it. There you go. Wokeism and identity politics have placed Pete Buttigieg as secretary of transportation it's only because he's gay that he's there and he doesn't know what's going on. Hilariously, Pete Buttigieg strikes me and we interviewed him a few weeks ago as one of the most knowledgeable secretaries of transportation in decades. And if you want to talk about unqualified secretaries, you can't ignore what happened under Donald Trump. And it's not what about ism. It's if there's a standard for qualification and we don't have a problem with what Trump did. How on earth are we going to say that there's a problem with Buttigieg? Betsy DeVos, as secretary of education, who wants to destroy public education. Ben Carson, as secretary of housing and urban development, something that as a doctor, he knows absolutely nothing about. In fact, it seems that Ben Carson's appointment was identity politics. Trump hearing the word urban and thinking, oh, Ben Carson's black. Let's make him that secretary. If anybody can be blamed for using identity politics for selecting secretaries, it would be Donald Trump. But they want to impeach Pete Buttigieg now. Genuinely deranged people. I mean, listen, why stop at impeaching Pete Buttigieg? Maybe there's some crime they could accuse him of and, and demand some kind of criminal investigation. But remember, when they tell you what they're going to do, <clears throat> 
excuse me, choking. When they when they tell you what they're going to do, uh, believe them. Believe, they're, they're telling us exactly what they're going to do. Trump is saying he's going to direct the Justice Department to prosecute his political opponents. They're telling us what they're going to do. It's horrifying. We should believe them and we should make sure that these people don't end up in positions of power. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but there is something fascinating continuing to happen in the Republican primary, which is basically over. OK, I want to be clear. The Republican primary is essentially over. Donald Trump again today reaching a new high. He got to 59% on Monday. He's now at 59.1%. DeSantis continues failing. But here's the interesting thing Nikki Haley continues to gain. Nikki Haley is now beyond 8% support and approaching 9% support. These are not wildly stunning numbers that suggest she's imminently going to be the Republican nominee. But if you look at where Nikki Haley started and the dynamics of where this race were, remember, there was a point in time at which Vivek Ramaswamy was considered to be the insurgent who was just going to be in second place soon. He got to six, seven, almost eight percent. Ramaswamy has lost half of his support. He's now down to four point five. But meanwhile, and relatively quietly, Nikki Haley has gone from two and three and four percent to five to six to seven to eight and continues climbing. Within a month, Nikki Haley may be ahead of Ron DeSantis in second place. I don't believe that this really puts her in position to take down Trump, who is polling almost eight times better than she is. But it has the potential if she can have a strong showing in an early primary state, maybe to at least give Republican voters something to think about. Nikki Haley, only four points behind Ron DeSantis. DeSantis is trending down and Nikki Haley is trending up. Meanwhile, some interesting elements from uh, some other uh, uh, Republican primary polls that I think are, are worth looking at. Uh, very interestingly, there is a, a Republican primary poll from Harris X, which actually has Haley at 22 percent. That's only one poll. But 22 percent is is way better than she's been polling. That's a head to head against Donald Trump, which again suggests that if she can get some of the field cleared and really take Trump on directly in some of these early primary states, maybe there's something there that would be interesting. A um, couple other polls here. Um, this is a if you take out Trump, there is a Harris X poll which has DeSantis at 33 and then Vivek and Nikki Haley sort of right around 14 and 12. Um, interestingly, removing Trump doesn't really change the order of anything else. That's indicative of the idea that Trump's support, if it were to be diminished, would not disproportionately help any one candidate. Uh, sort of like an interesting internal dynamic. Important to remember, Nikki Haley is still really nuts. Here she was the other day on CNN saying that the Republican chaos in the Speaker of the House race and the entire thing, it's actually all Biden's fault. Just lest anyone think Nikki Haley is a reasonable person. Here you go. Um, the House still doesn't have a speaker for the first time in American history. This is nearly two weeks after Kevin McCarthy was stripped of his leadership. They still can't even pass a resolution condemning the Hamas attacks. Right. It's starting to look like there is not one House Republican who can get 200 and 17 votes. Uh, Republican Congressman Austin Scott said the chaos, quote, makes us look like a bunch of idiots, unquote. Is he right? 
Well, I'll tell you what's right is under the Biden administration, we've seen chaos um, with inflation and the fact you that people You can't are blame that on Biden. Saying, you can't blame this on Biden. She is blaming it on Biden. No, you can't. Well, you have to let me finish. Okay. We have seen chaos with inflation. We've seen chaos with the lack of transparency in education. We've seen chaos on the border. We've seen chaos with crime on the streets. And now we're seeing chaos around the world. What I am saying is, you can't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. <laughs> all of the chaos in general is the fault of Democrats. And then now all of a sudden you've got Republicans trying to figure out who should be Speaker of the House, and it's really not their fault. This is Nikki Haley. She is surging. We'll see what happens at the next debate. We'll see where, where her polling is a month from now. But certainly the Vivek surge is over. And now the question is, does Nikki Haley push into second place? This is one of the most disturbing voicemails I've ever received. All right. Uh, you can call the voicemail line at two one nine two David P. Um, it, I'll just play it. OK, and then we'll, we'll discuss bagels, fake men. OK, calling me bagel. I think that's anti-Semitic, right? I mean, is that what what would you call a Catholic host bagel? I think not. You must be trust funding it up to tell us the economy is doing great. Dude. I have no trust fund, sir. I have no trust fund. I'm trolling so many of your commies on the f threads here. This is great. Do you even hmm. go to the grocery store? Like, I, I do. I, I go to the grocery store. Yes, sir. How is it? How much Soros money do you get? To we don't get any Soros money. No, I, I mean, is it? Is it because George Soros is Jewish and I'm Jewish that I, I must be funded by George Soros? Is that the idea? I have that. I just loaded a bunch of people on train cars like your grandfather used to that smirk. We know the kind you must live in isolated duty. You're not noticing anything. Now, why don't you have your buddy Pete fill some holes? We know he loves to stuff him. That's a, a homophobic comment about Pete Buttigieg. So we have anti-Semitism. Deranged general comments and homophobia. But we need our potholes fixed. I mean, 66 billion. You know he's going to send some of that shit over to Palestine before he lays any asphalt down here. So again, what? man, stop saying show us. Like everything costs more, portions are smaller. Yeah, we've talked about inflation. I mean, certainly it's nothing that's been hidden on this program. There's less people to work in the same establishment. I think he means fewer people. Obviously, he didn't add any of them jobs. So again, Dave, like fun from your standpoint, I invite you to go work eight hours with me. I'll pay you out. of. I, I work more than eight hours a day. I don't even, I don't have time to add another eight hours to my work day. My work day is full. My own pocket. I'll show you what retail work looks like in a high end ski resort, dude. No more shilling like you're underweight. You're thin. You can't. You know, I just had my physical. I'm actually the perfect weight. The, the doctor said I've never seen someone with a perfect weight the way I see you. Work out. I mean, you have a lot. You're not. You really think you represent the working class of America. Maybe you show us what it looks like outside one day. So tell your commie shows to keep coming at me, man. I love to fold them faster than Joe's breakfast tacos. This looks great. Thanks. Have a great day. You're not. That bad of a person, but I don't think you believe that's the shit you're saying. Dude. All right. I'm not that bad of a person that that's certainly a ringing endorsement. Um, that's seriously deranged. I mean, it, you know, it's not really worth saying anything else about it, but seriously deranged stuff. These these people exist and they're allowed to vote. And some of them do vote on the bonus show.
We'll talk about Kirsten Sinema's new declaration that she doesn't care if she loses reelection. Good, because she's probably going to lose. Secondly, 41 states have now sued Meta, the parent company of Facebook, claiming that Instagram and Facebook are addictive and they are harming kids. What is the uh, crux of the lawsuit? We will discuss. And thirdly, bond markets are being hit hard, which sounds sort of like a like a finance story. It is actually likely to impact all of us. Uh, we will discuss those stories and more on today's bonus show. Sign up at joinpacman.com. I'll see you then.